Welcome to the inaugural episode of the all-new 52 podcast. It's a it's a show I decide I'm going to make where I'm going to talk about comics with my good buddy, Caleb. Right here. And I'm Joe. I'm Caleb, as previously established. <laughs> so this is just a show that I thought, hey, I like comics. Caleb likes comics. Some have said. We like nerding out about comics together. There have been rumors as of such. Why not? nerd out about other comics together and show each other some new stuff that we might not have read. I was going to say seen, but... And, and the perfect way to do that is to read a comic that both of us have read before. Yeah, well, you know, makes it easy to start off with that. The first uh, first comic we're going to be talking about is good old Batman White Knight by by the the legend himself, Sean Murphy. The, the savant, some would call him. So, what did Sean Murphy do before this? Because obviously... I've heard since... his name before. He's penned the Murphyverse. So DC must have, he must have done something for DC to give him an eight issue miniseries. Uh, he worked on Joe the Barbarian with Grant Morrison. Don't know about that. Written and drawn the miniseries Punk Rock Jesus. Oh, I've heard good things about that. Uh, oh, he's worked on Titans and Hellblazer before. Let's see. Let's see if I can get some actual. Oh, wait, which Hellblazer? There's a very good chance I have his... Two issues, number 245 and 246. Okay, I was about to say, there's a very good (laughs) chance I have some of the issues of his run, and I just haven't gotten around to reading them yet. He hasn't done an insane amount, but... Like, he doesn't have the giant back catalog that some of the big notable writers do. But enough to push him into this miniseries... And obviously, and into his own just world that yeah, they're giving him. This miniseries did well enough that it, you know, extended his reach in the DC, DC lineup. I mean, starting off with just him, like the fact that he's doing the art too, and it's really good art. Oh yeah, like it, is it, I'm I'm all for it. Whenever I see that writer artist combo, I I almost always know I'm in for something pretty good. At least the past two times with him and Steven Sepjack or whatever, however you say his last name, they they, they both do amazing. It's so there's this term in film uh, criticism called auteur theory. It's the idea that the director is the sole vision mm-hmm. of the film. And I kind of feel uh, one of the cool things about comics is that it's collaborative between the writer, the the artist, the colorist. Um, but also, I feel like when you do get that. Uh, that wombo combo that one yeah that one two punch let's use a comics reference that fastball special oh there we go of a writer uh and an artist you do get kind of a pretty uh cohesive vision now sometimes that doesn't work out but here, it's very true here, here it really works okay so batman white knight it's an alternate universe uh story which are kind of the best dc sto- stories that i find myself enjoying or yeah let's not say the best the ones i find myself enjoying the most and uh it's a universe where batman's a little off his rocker which you know isn't too far from mainline batman but he goes a little too far and makes joker eat a bunch of pills and it turns him sane yeah um and as joker regains his sanity he sees that batman has been escalating the force and the damage that he does to Gotham. And so he decides he is going to step up and be the one to fix Gotham, to make a Gotham that no longer needs Batman. Mm-hmm. It's 
it's kind of it's one of those stories where it's like okay we've seen this before but he does it in such a not even a new way just a i think batman like a a batman story critiquing batman and his methods are not new and uh, the, joker going sane isn't anything new either but i do think that he brings enough to the table that he's able to like if you look at the Batman universe as a bunch of Legos. He's able to put them together into something else. You can recognize, oh, that comes from that set. He made he, he he bought a set and then made it into his own thing. his own thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he, the first thing you notice when you read this is how much Sean Murphy loves Batman. There are <laughs> he's a, so many such references. a big fanboy. Like not even just comics, Batman. Just he's a Batman fan. He's seen everything. I watched every show I, like a, an issue does not go by that doesn't reference something, mm-hmm. whether it's the 89 film, whether it's the animated series. There is a part where you see Joker in his cell and it's surrounded by this Batman merchandise and it all comes from something. There's yeah, stuff from it's the Lego all a movie. reference to something There's stuff from the old cereal, which, you know, can be a double edged sword sometimes, but he's just really understands Batman and understands how he can put a twist on it. He, yeah. And, and it, just make it super engaging. This, this book, when I first read it, I read it, uh, I had a, I think both you and me got it the same way. We had a free comic book day. It was issue one. I don't know where my original copy went, but I always had it in the back of my mind. And then I got the trade and I just, I was done with it in a day. It's so good. It's very readable. Um, and I think part of it that is because the love for Batman shows up and um, reveals itself within what Murphy is showing. Because while this is critical of Batman, it never lose, lose sight of down deep, even though Batman is doing bad things in this story. He is a hero. Um, oh, he's got the, his, the city's best interests at his heart and is in his own like escalative way where he's just... He's so full of spite with the Joker. And honestly, or Joker's Jack Napier in this. Jack's full of spite for Batman, too. They're both. Jack may seem like he's coming at it. It's like, I have the city's best interests in my hearts. And he kind of does, too. But they both get clouded by their just absolute spite for each other. Well, and you kind of you kind of see uh, their arcs reverse. We're mm-hmm. Batman. We're familiar with the Batman who loves the city, but he's just been pushed so far. And when Jack is finally cured, he is just driven by spite. But eventually there's a part where his spite has given way to the love for the city that pushes him. There's a cross. There's a crossing point where Batman's no even no longer even in uh, Jack's vision of the city. He's like, he's not I shouldn't let myself get clouded by him. Um, How much do you want us to spoil I know literally a billion things that have happened in comics that I've read before I've read them. Reading it's still a great. Spoilers aren't one of those things that bother me with comics unless it's an ongoing you kind serious of, kind of deal. You kind of have to know at a certain point. Like you can't read every single thing within yeah. a universe, but you can't like you have to know what's going on. Yeah, you have to know what, you know, the Phoenix Saga is if you're going to be into Marvel, even if you aren't going to read all of Claremont's X-Men. Mm-hmm. You need to know the big events. I think that Neither Jack nor um, Batman are really the protagonists of this story, or at least they're not the only like the sole protagonists. I, I think, think it does switch like a couple times throughout the book. I think this is a Harley story. 
Like first, I think forth. it shifts to her. Yeah, I think Jack definitely has the protagonist mantle for the first half of the book. I think from a more traditional aspect, yes. Um, but I think if you actually look at structurally um, the story, I think that you realize your perspective has been with Jack. But mm-hmm. really, all the goals and things uh, that this story is orienting around is Harley. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about the spoilers, because there is a... Um, there's a status quo shift for how Sean Murphy handles Harley. I mean, it's a pretty early revelation. It's an issue, too. Yeah. So there are two Harleys. There are. And I think it's it's one of those genius things where it makes so much sense. But and you could easily put it into the mainline thing and no one would bat an eye, really. It just it makes so much sense with how that character shifted so much since Arkham Asylum really was it. That that was the big shifting point where she went from just, you know, the jester to kind of the the hot topic sex icon. And you're you're a big Harley Quinn fan. I am a pretty big Harley fan. It's kind of uh, rested or that's not the right word, subsided over the past couple of years where I just kind of grown bored with her. But I do enjoy her character quite a bit. Um, This is my favorite Harley. It's a Uh, really good one. There, I, I kind of went back and forth on that when I initially read this, but having read this um, a second time for the podcast, I can easily say that this is the Harley, and I think this is what you were getting at when you were saying your alternate universe stories are the ones you really gravitate to. You're able to complete character arcs in ways that you can't in comics, or that would be because, yeah, because, automatically reverted. Yeah, because Mainline just has to keep going. There is no end goal in sight, and you got so many different writers' visions that constantly are changing a character. Which is beautiful and fun, but it is interesting to see a story that can take that to the next level. And I feel like that's what happens with Harley in this. Is they're able to, um, we know from context, uh, her backstory and all that. So mm-hmm. we're able to move past that into like, what would an end goal Harley look like? And I really appreciate that. Now, I, I think it's fair to say that this is Jack's story first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really had me going back to it this time around was Harley's story. I mean, she is the master planner in all of it. As you learn at the end is she, she didn't necessarily have uh like a flow chart laid out or orchestrated the entire events but she she set this thing in motion mm-hmm. um and she she i don't want to say she has jack around her finger because it sounds like she's manipulating him the entire time and like you know to an extent she kind of is but there is this just bond between the two of them where it kind of becomes a love story at a certain point and not like the twisted love story that uh, our favorite movie, Suicide Squad, made so popular. Oh, yeah. Was that it? Was that the thing that made it popular? That, that was the thing that set it off, okay. I think. I feel like I saw some stuff. That is definitely where the daddy's little monster yeah. came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, uh, the Harley that becomes the Neo-Joker in this version. Yes. But uh, Harley, Harley and Jack, they're just, they have a bond for each other and they they want what is best for the city and like they've been on the bad side of the i don't know the fist of batman really and they 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 kind of see a way to turn it around yeah because this is not just uh oh batman batman hurts people did you ever think about that that batman hurts people and then like why doesn't he just kill the joker 
Like the Joker's. That would make things so easy. But this is actually like, oh, wait, this goes into the politics of the city. It looks at the effects of um, like the financial impact of the city. How the police kind of just turn a blind eye and then they're caught like just watching horrible stuff happen. It looks at the um, how the media handles it. Mm -hmm. And it looks at how like it gives more voice to the citizens of Gotham than many Batman stories. I would still say that. And this is one of the problems I have with the story is it still kind of sidelines those characters and just makes them vehicles for Jack's um, Jack's character arc. But even within that, I can also acknowledge that this is giving a lot more agency to Gotham itself than most other Batman stories do. Yeah, I feel like we've been gushing so far. It's about a good what story. It's a really good story. Another thing I like is you get this isn't a big Bat family story, but you do have two key components who are. Kind of left out nowadays, it feels like. You have a much angrier Nightwing, and then a, a Batgirl who you can tell has been in it for a while because she remembers when things were different, but she's not uh, completely numb to how violent uh, Batman has become. Yeah, and I love how they kind of ground you in this, like, okay, this isn't just like a Batman who's always been bad. Mm-hmm. Like we can, it's an escalation. Yeah. yeah. We can automatically when Barbara is, uh, we see the first chase scene and Barbara's like yelling at Batman to like slow down. <laughs> She's like, careful. chill out. You are on a roof right now. <laughs> we see it's like, Oh, okay. This is not okay. We know the rules of the universe to an extent. I feel like that's part of where, when you get a little nitpicky with it, it doesn't necessarily crumble. But you, you see, there's a few loose staples in the stack of papers. What do you mean by that? Um, so you have all this context going into it. Like this is a similar Batman world so far to like what's operated. A few couple changes. Jason Todd was the first Robin. You have you have so you have Jack who makes a makes a very good case for himself, where he was like, I was just I stole a scooter essentially. That the the chasing that kicks off the book and he's like i've never done or the first thing i did was rob a bank when i got here that was my first crime that they have that i was uh arrested for and automatically 10 years or whatever i was like okay that's putting it kind of light because you know that's a pretty big crime robbing a bank or whatever but you the way jack builds his case and how quickly he is forgiven too makes it seem like he hasn't done quite as heinous, had as heinous of a past that are the mainline prime Joker has had. Yeah, you kind of wonder, I mean, this is not the, this isn't killing joke Joker. Um, no. Not just because that event didn't happen in this universe, but also because, like, I don't think that point where, like, he hit total depravity ever mm-hmm. occurred. This is a much more jokey joker I, think, I feel like i think like animated series joker where he's definitely maniacal and like can go to some dark places mm-hmm. but like he's not the huge criminal that he's be- become in the modern age really you can believe that people maybe are like well maybe he didn't kill all those people you can imagine that there's more am- moral ambiguity or at least i could it gives it a great uh case for jack where it's like oh maybe you know, maybe stuff is different in this universe, but if you're, I feel like if you're going to have that, you need to have a Batman side to where 
you know, you're not just on his side because it's Batman and you know and you know what's happened because, you know, alternate universe. But, you know, some stuff's the same, but stuff might be different and we're not getting the full two sides to every story. Well, three sides, one side, the other side and the truth. We're, we're missing we're missing another side right now because Batman is so doesn't talk to anyone in this book for the first like six issues. He's, he's just silent, always focusing on his goal. And Nightwing and Batgirl are trying to get something out of him to figure out how they can help themselves. And he just won't do anything. He will not budge. And that's why I said, when you get a little nitpicky with it, you're losing a couple of the stitches. The wound's coming a little undone. Do you think part of that is also the pacing of, not necessarily the book, but of reading it in a trade? You know, it might have a little to do with that. The... I don't, and this, I'm pretty sure this, this book didn't really have much delays. It said it was published between 2017 and 2018 originally. Uh, so, you know, an eight, eight, eight issues, eight months. So you get a little bit of time to feel that, but also I'm not going to judge it in, in the thing that's like, oh, it was meant to be read in a monthly format. It, well, no, it's a complete story. You should, you should be able to read it, yeah, it should front to back. But I was just thinking about that while I was reading it this time, um, because at the end you find out that these have spanned a year, and I didn't. I just wasn't getting that. No, from you the don't feel that. I mean, it tells you that at the very beginning because it starts off with Jack walking in on jo- uh, Batman and Arkham, and then it's, it's one year ago, and it kicks off everything. Yeah, yeah. So there are textual pieces to that, but I feel like just the experience of reading it in trade. It's kind of like how some shows are better watched week to week than mm-hmm. binged. I kind of think this might be a story that um, it makes it very easy to binge because it is. Very oh, it's readable. such a good page turner. But maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's not the best way to read it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't. That's the only way I've experienced it. Besides reading that first issue, you know, back whenever it was the free comic book day, because I would assume the series had reached enough of a popularity to be determined to be the free comic book day that year. Um, Do you have any other complaints, really, other than that minor pacing thing? Uh, you know, well, I'm trying to. OK, I'll get out my two small complaints. OK, uh, first. And then I have a bigger one, which you can decide whether you want to cut out. or not. OK, um, the first one is and it's so small, but Batgirl has like this posture collar. She doesn't have a full cowl. She has a domino mask and a posture collar. The posture collar is really distracting. It's so <laughs> silly. And it just kind of scrunches up her face into these weird expressions. I like Batman's collar. <laughs> I keep forgetting it's there. And then there'll be uh, there'll be panels with him and it's just cowl and collar. Mm-hmm. But then you'll see a full panel of him and you don't really register the collar. It's it's very um, mucky art in the sense that a lot is left in the shadows. It's super stylized. Yeah. Oh, and I love the only reason I bring up Batgirl's collar is I love almost everyone else's costume a lot, Um, especially like Poison Ivy's got a great costume in this. Um, But it's just that collar was very distracting. The other one is there are a couple times when the references um, get in the way and I and just kind of pull you out. In what sense? So uh, I'd say he uses three kind of references. He uses one where he just pulls something in from other media. So like the Tumblr is in this. Yeah. And they call it the Tumblr. Yeah. But he like there is a mechanical reason why he is using the Tumblr, because it's able to do something that the other Batmobiles aren't supposed to do. Mm -hmm. That's the best kind of reference because it's just pulling in another piece. Then there is just kind of the fun cheeky references where like 
Joker will get all the villains together and make a reference to a animated series episode. Small stuff, that's fine. But then there are just some stuff that's a little bit too crammed in there. So like Mr. Freeze will make a like he'll be like no more ice puns. I'm like, you haven't made a single ice pun. You are the most serious character in this story. And I get it. I get it. Sean Murphy, you like me like Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. I can tell because you're remaking things from Batman and Robin in this story. And I appreciate it. But maybe that joke didn't land. I gotcha. But it's stuff like that. I gotcha. The bigger complaint. I was going to say, I was like, there's a bigger one. You cut, you kind of stopped where it seemed like you weren't going to go into it. Well, and I wanted to give a nice break just in case. Just in case. Cut this out. Um, from a socio-political perspective. Oh, boy. And now you understand why you might want to cut this out. I'm not sh- I, I, I just go back and forth on how, how well this handles things like police brutality, like race. Like, there's some stuff I really... I was going to bring this up with you because I read this maybe a year ago at this point, like, completely for the first time. Now, reading it now, with everything that's happened in 2020... That first, those first two issues just, they ring a whole new kind of meaning now Mm -hmm. because they go over the same topics that we've kind of talked about over the summer. Yeah. And I, I just, sometimes I really appreciate like seeing that kind of stuff reflected back to me. Um, like there is a, there is a part in the story where, uh, the police and Batman stand off against a peaceful protest. Mm-hmm. And what we see there is what happens in my experience, having gone to these protests in reality, which is Batman and the police escalate. Yeah. The, and then that escalation gets blamed on the protesters. Yes. Um, so I appreciate that. But also then you, it's just when you start to bring those um, real world aspects in the story, Whenever they begin to rub up against the more comic aspects, um, I, I feel like there's just some fracturing in the um, in the quality of the storytelling. Because you can talk about these things, but it takes a lot, and I mean a lot of care, to talk about them in a story where you also have a man who has an ice gun and uh, <laughs> and a big crocodile man. That is that is very true. I, I think it does a good job for the most part. It never goes, you know, insanely deep in these topics. But they also talk about how, hey, there's this secret fund for Batman damage that is three billion a year. Maybe we need to, like, just redistribute this money. Yeah. And they, and they never go too deep into it. But it's like there's but, an idea and they just roll with it. Yeah. And that's just the thing where it's like, maybe I'm being unfair to the, to this story because it is being told in this world, but like they defund Batman by funding the police. Yeah. <laughs> like, I they, raised an eyebrow at that, but they, we don't have a idea on like, they talk about, it's like, Oh, the cops are kind of corrupt in this book. It's the, you know, we don't know. Yeah. What they end up doing with that money, I think makes sense for this world, but it's also the exact opposite of what I would want to see in the real world. But yes, in this comic book world where a man runs around in a bat costume and is more powerful than the police. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just a little it's a little uh tough to square those edges. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, you don't always have to square those edges. Sometimes a story is better when it does leave those gray areas for you to, you know, parse out. Yeah. You know, not leave, not make everything so black and white. Like give the reader a little bit of their own. Let the reader be a little bit smart. Well, yeah, and apply it to the real world in mm-hmm. ways that you couldn't in the story. 
another thing I liked a lot, real quick. Uh, Alfred is used in a very minimal, but I think super powerful way, where you find out in the beginning he's dying. Um, Bruce has teamed up with Mr. Freeze to use the same treatment, I guess you'd call it, to try to save Alfred's life. Uh, but then, is it is it the protest when Bat goes a little overboard? Or is it a little after that? No, no, no. It's when he it's when he goes into the library. Is it? Yeah, it's the library. Yeah. There's a another chase scene with a bunch of the villains that Jack has mind controlled. And Bruce gets pretty heavily injured. So he goes back to the cave to treat his wounds and he passes out. Alfred wakes up and gets him to hooks him up to the same treatment thing that he's on. But it kills Alfred because he's he's on life support, essentially. Yeah. And oh, you just get this sense that ever since Alfred has gone down or gotten knocked out, he's kind of the the link to society, like acting like a normal human being that Bruce lost. And that's kind of what uh, that's kind of what Cinnamon kind of the escalation past path past Cinnamon, the escalation path. And then once he, once he does die you see a shift in how Batman's acting. Like he's not nearly as rash anymore. He's not so closed up. It gives. Yeah. It explains, which I think a lot of times when you're like, what about hero, but bad, they, they don't explain, Mm -hmm. but this gives a motivation. Um, and I appreciate that. It's just a solid, solid story. Now you have not been keeping up with modern Batman. No, Um, I haven't, but I, it is, insane to look at this and see how intentionally or not it kind of paved the way for what would go on in the joker war event that just wrapped up um with kind of that relationship we see batman without alfred with uh um how the joker uh how different people interpret what happens with the joker Mm -hmm. um even down to like some of the stuff with the police and there is an obvious link which i won't get into uh yet I feel like when we inevitably look at Joker War, we can talk about this more. There's an there is a clear link between Neo Joker and Punchline, the uh, the new Joker sidekick in the Batman stories. I think Sean Murphy just knows what's going on, and I'm both. I always get torn with this type of story because it's so it's such a lightning in a bottle where it's so good. It's good the entire way through. There's not a bunch of holes that are just making it fall apart. And you're like, this is perfect. Don't mess with it. But it's comics. They want money. We have Curse of the White Knight that just wrapped up. And he's getting, he already had a Mr. Freeze spinoff. Don't know if it was a miniseries or a one-off, but he's he's still going. And it's, I think it's greenlit for another series. There's a Harley Quinn series, right? I don't think so. Not yet. Okay. I thought I saw something on the shelf uh, related to that. Um, but my wallet can only allow so many, so many black label mm-hmm. books. Um, but you haven't read any of that stuff. I yet? haven't. I'm waiting for the paperback to come out because right now uh, it's in a hardback format. The Curse of the White Knight. It's wrapped and like they have the trade out for it. But I don't want a paperback of uh, just normal White Knight and then Curse of the White Knight to be hardback. Mm, That's just it. from a collector standpoint why I'm waiting on it. Well, I guess I guess then we can't dip our toes into the rest of the Murphy verse yet, but. I can deal with that. Did you have any, um, this is going to be weird, but did you have a favorite like single panel? Not particularly. There's a, there's a 
fun it's it's the harley fan of me where and i don't really like harley with joker but they do so well in this because it's not joker where he like takes her out on a date night and then she proposes to him mm-hmm. at the end of it all i just really like that sequence of events yeah um there is an early image of the one i brought up of joker in his cell around his batman merch and it's i just there's so much loving care is that the one harley's like naked in the background <laughs> No, no, that's it. There's a lot of Batman merch in that one. That's what I'm thinking of. That one, too. This is earlier on when he just got caught and put back into Arkham. Um, But it's just it had so much loving care put into it. Um, Any any small moments that you haven't been able to talk about? I I think we've gushed about this issue. I really like Neo Joker and Mad Hatter's uh, relationship. I like their relationship. Neo Joker is one of those things I think is a little bit on the weaker side, but she's kind of just a force to bring the story together. I don't think she's incredibly huge. Better in concept than execution? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's eight issues. There's only so much you can give so much depth. Like, I'm not going to complain that other villains are underutilized. They're not the focus. I, uh, we didn't get enough ventriloquists. <laughs> we didn't get enough of that uh, girl who pers- who's perpetually little. Baby doll. Other than uh, that her and Croc are definitely doing it. Baby doll. Um... Although, this story has much more baby doll and ventriloquists than most Batman stories. Very have. true. So, next, I'm going to get my issue for the next episode, or my book. Yeah, we're trading off these, and mm-hmm. since we kind of agreed on this one, and this is your show, you are the Adam West, I am the Burt Ward. Yes. What will you have me read, Master Bruce? Well, does he call him son in the old chum? Pro- yeah, old chum. <laughs> old chum. Uh, we're going we're gonna to read the series that I've grown super fond of lately. We're going to do Ultimate Spider-Man, Volume 1. Holy Brian Michael Bendis, Batman! I was going to do Silk, but we both have read that. I think this is good because we, in these first couple episodes, we're going to get like our favorites out of the way. So we've gotten Batman out of the way. You're getting Mm Spider-Man out of the way. Um, I might have to hold off on Zatanna for a minute, uh, just because I have not collected enough of that to make you read it. Yeah. but I'm 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 excited that we'll get to talk about uh, your favorite superhero, Spider-Man. Well, I think that would, you know, just about do it for this episode. For everyone who's made it all the way to the end, thank you. I appreciate it a lot. And join us when the next episode comes out. I think we're going to be doing it bi-weekly, so it gives us enough time uh, for Ultimate Spider-Man Volume One. Can I do a call to action? Yes. Hello, fair fellow sidekicks of the all new 52 <laughs> podcast. It's me, Burt Ward. <laughs> I'm not sure if Burt Ward's still alive. This might be extremely disrespectful, but we're going for it anyway. He is alive. Guys, if you could uh, give us a, a review and a rating that helps us pop up in the charts. And if you have any ideas uh, about these stories, um, do we have any way for them to contact us? For feedback and suggestions of your own, you can send an email to allnew52podcast at gmail.com. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Father.